0: Once again, good morning. To those who are joining us via online platform, we also welcome you. Um, It is a great blessing and a joy to be together to open the Word of God and to remember the life, the death, the resurrection, and the uh, soon return of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Please turn with me in your Bibles, the book of Luke chapter 19 this morning, Uh, considering the fact that we are in the season of Easter, I thought it wise that we would ponder and reflect uh, passages of scriptures, uh, an Easter series, if you want to call it, that we will then reflect upon uh, for these two weeks turn with me in your bibles the book of luke chapter 19 and our scripture reading is taken from verse 28 to verse 44 and in honor for the reading of god's word may i ask you to stand on your feet if you are able to stand please Luke chapter 19, hear the word of the Lord from verse 28. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethlehem and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two. Of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a court tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And and as they were untying the court, its owners said to them, Why are you untying the court? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their clocks on the court, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their clocks on the road. And he, as he was drawing near already on the way down to Mount Olivet, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice. For all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the eyes. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd, they said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if th- these were silent, the very stones, would cry out. And when he drew near and he saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes, For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up barricades around you and surround you and hem you in and on every side. And they will tear you down to the ground. You and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his word. You may have your seats. Let's pray. Father, this is your word. It is living. It is active. In it, we see your son. So we ask that your Holy Spirit would lead us and he will guide us. Eyes in and of themselves are unable to see unless you do a work in our hearts to see. So we humble ourselves and ask that your Holy Spirit will lead and guide us into all truth that we may behold the King, Jesus. It is in his name we ask and we pray. May God's people say amen. Luke chapter 19, we are... Introduced to the Lord Jesus Christ, and I've entitled my sermon this morning. Behold, the King is coming Behold, the King is coming You hear those words resounding these words from the lips of the disciples of Jesus Christ rightly so, and as we rejoice in this time of Easter and we celebrate the death of our Lord and our Savior Jesus, and as I look in the shops and I move around, I realize that this season of Easter has been marred by a worldly connotation and has lost its essence. It has turned to be a season where we give our kids Easter bunny eggs. And the Easter bunny egg has taken the center stage concerning this season in which we remember. But also for us as Christians, as I look into this book of Luke again and again, Luke continues with this thread or this of the blindness of those who were religious and those who even walked with Jesus. That for some reason they were blinded and they were unable to see, to recognize, even to hear and understand what Christ was saying. It is with this, brothers and sisters, I desire that this morning we behold this, King. I want you to see in this particular passage that we have read this morning, and I want you to see the cry of Jesus as to what he is crying. Look at verses 42, and, and this is where I want us to, that, that word behold is coming from. Jesus Christ laments and he says, but now, he says, would you, even you? If you had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are, look at the the word there, they are hidden from your eyes. In other words, you are unable to behold. And this will not be the first time, and we are going to pick on this particular theme, but I would want us this morning to behold this King, Jesus. Jesus. Because if we talk about this season, as we will be commemorating, remembering of the death, the resurrection of this man. He is not just an ordinary man. He is the king. But the sad reality is that the people in Jesus' day were blinded. They could not perceive who he really was. To the very final week of his life, they were unable to, to know him. Even after his resurrection, we are told in chapter 24 that even his disciples were unable to know him. You remember the two men on the road to Emmaus? They are talking to Jesus about Jesus until Jesus could open their eyes to see and to hear what he was saying. So therefore, it is pertinent, it's very important for us to behold the king who is coming. Firstly, there are three points that I do have for this particular sermon. The first thing we are going to see concerning this king is that first and foremost, he enters willingly into Jerusalem. He willingly enters into Jerusalem, and in your handout that you do have there in the pew, the second thing that we're going to look at, and it's written as the first point in your handout, is that he is welcomed in jubilation. That's the second point. But lastly, we're going to examine how he will then, he whips over the city of Jerusalem. Let's then come and see these three points concerning this king who is coming. First and foremost, he willingly enters Jerusalem. Where do we see that? Go to your Bible, chapter 19, verse 28. The Bible tells us in verse 28. And when the, he said these things, what things? Things pertaining to the parable of the 10 minutes that we see from verse 11 all the way to verse 27. When he had spoken, or in the immediate contest, in verse 27, as for these enemies of mine, who do not want me to reign over them, he is the king, bring them here and slaughter them before me. When he had said these things, the Bible tells us, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. Pause there. The question is, what is he doing in Jerusalem I'm glad you ask so go to chapter 18 and you see in verse 31 the Bible tells us he takes up the twelfth with him and he he's declaring to them this is what he is going to do in Jerusalem this king who is coming he says he says to the twelfth see we are going to Jerusalem He has told them way before this particular event, everything that's happening, it's not happening because it's just happening as a coincidence. Everything that's transpiring in his life at this particular time, this man who has a track record of healing the sick, this man who has a track record of mingling with sinners, As he is entering into Jerusalem, brothers and sisters, I want you to see here that he is going to Jerusalem willingly. Because there is one hugely important theological fact that must be kept as the utmost in our minds. As we consider the death and the crucifixion of our Lord and our Savior Jesus. If we do not understand Christ's death as voluntarily, then we do not understand his death at all. So I want you to know this, as he steps into Jerusalem, as he is going up to Jerusalem, he is not going up to Jerusalem to be crowned as king. He is not going to Jerusalem to be praised by men, as we have seen in the verses that follow. That it was not the objective. He is not going to Jerusalem to be accepted by the crowd. As we see in the verses that follow. And we rightly name his entry into Jerusalem as the triumphal entry. But I want you to know that his entrance into Jerusalem is not one to triumph. His mission has been stated and yet to be accomplished. His mode of transport is already booked and reserved. Do you see that in verse 29? When he drew near to Bethage and Bethany and the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village in front of you. What must they do? Entering there, you'll find a court tied, reserved on which no man has yet sat on it. Untie it, bring it. If anyone asks you, tell them, what must they tell them? Not the rabbi, I want you to see here, in I say, if anyone asks you, you shall say, the Lord needs it. The owner of all creation needs it, it's his, he reserved it, it's his, it belongs to him. But, but as he comes to Jerusalem, as he sets his face to Jerusalem, look here, the mode of transport has already been booked, has already been reserved. The multitude is drawing to fulfill the prophecies. And he tells us as to what is it that is going to happen in Jerusalem. Look at verse number 31 of chapter 18. That's where we were. He says, We are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. What is that? He for he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and he will be mocked and shamefully treated, and he will be spat upon. And after after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. so completely aware of his father's agenda concerning him even the very end of how things are going to transpire christ tells his disciples as to what is it that is going to happen but i want you to see the sobering verse 34 but they understood none of these things can you see chapter 18 verse 34 and this i'm going to pick up this theme again he says these things to the disciples But the Bible tells us, look at verse 34, they understood none of these things. Why? That same verse tells us this saying was hidden from them. They did not grasp what was said. The gospel preached to these men, yet these men could not understand. So the king who is coming, he is willingly going to Jerusalem, not as one who is coming to receive his kingdom. He enters not as one to be crowned as king, but rather as one to be condemned as a criminal. He is not coming as one who is going to be coronated as king, but rather to be crucified. He enters not to triumph, but rather to be trampled by men. He enters Jerusalem not to be praised but rather to be persecuted. As he comes to Jerusalem brothers and sisters he is not coming to be marvelled upon by men but rather to be mocked by these people not only to hear and to receive their songs but rather to receive their saliva spat on his face. He comes to Jerusalem. Willingly. He knows that this is the place of his execution. But willingly, he enters this place. Willingly. He enters not as a lion from the tribe of Judah. He enters like the lamb of God. He is the epicenter. This is the epicenter of worship that he is coming, where people would offer sacrifices, lambs before God. But this time around, it's no longer tradition anymore. It's no longer as it has always been anymore. The one who is entering Jerusalem, he himself is the lamb. The Passover that they are yet to rejoice and celebrate finds its consummation in this one who is the glory of God. Now in the flesh, veiled in human flesh, concealed from the eyes. So what do we learn from this particular line as he's going up to Jerusalem? His willingness demonstrates his complete obedience before the Father. He is the Son of God who has lived his life for 33 years. And as he comes to this final week of his life, he courageously, not cowardly, obeys the Father. He radically, not reluctantly, comes to Jerusalem. Beloved, the king who is coming, he willingly enters Jerusalem. And I want you to to point this out because this is not the first time that we see this. Jesus himself testifies of his voluntary sacrifice. You can write these verses down. In the book of John, chapter 10, verses 17 to 18, he tells us, For this reason, the Father loves me because I laid down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it up for me, but I laid down of my own accord i have authority to lay it down and i have authority to take it up again this charge i have received from my father so he is obedient in submitting to the father so as he's entering jerusalem and i want to set this so so clearly that we do not get it twisted with the songs and the jubilation that we see later on he is coming here as the good shepherd who is giving himself for his sheep. And Paul would remind us of this that though the time and the place are indefinite, it is becoming clear now that the long journey from Galilee through Perea is nearing the end as we come to this particular text. Jericho is almost in the side. We saw in chapter 18, we saw in chapter 19, verses 1. Jerusalem, as we see it here, is the place where Christ is now yet to be executed. His willingness, his willingness, was a conscious decision to fulfill not his own will, but the will of the Father. Now, as, 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 as Luke records that, that when he had said these things, he went on ahead to up to Jerusalem. Mark actually adds to that line. Mark said this, and Mark puts it in this particular sense in chapter 10 of the book of mark verse 32 mark said they they were on the road going up to jerusalem and listen to what mark says and jesus was walking on ahead of them in other words he did not send the disciples first and him later no he was going ahead of them and the, the people who were around him mark records that they were astonished they were amazed. They admired, and they, those who followed him were so afraid. And he took the 12 aside, and he began to tell them what is going to happen. In other words, he took a step of courage. It was a courageous step that Christ took to face Jerusalem. Willingly, he came. That's what we see. The mission has been stated in chapter 19, verse 10. Today it says, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. That's his mission. So the mission has been stated. The mode of transport has been reserved and has been prepared. Now he comes. Let's look at second point. He is welcomed in jubilation. He's welcomed in jubilation, verse number 36. We see there in chapter 19 of the book of Luke. And as, as he rode along, they spread their crocks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on their way down to the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples, they began to rejoice. And they were praising God with a loud voice all the mighty works that they had seen. So the first thing, the, the king who is coming, he willingly enters Jerusalem. But secondly, what are we saying? We're saying he is welcomed in jubilation. That's the second point. They are singing songs of Praise. Because wherever he will come, and this has been shown right before even he was even in his mother's womb. He brings joy to those who are expectantly waiting for him. And they are singing this song, verse number 38. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. So he's welcomed in jubilation. Christian, I want you to know this as a footnote. The king who was entering Jerusalem, and we know this, that he came the first time. And we're going to look at this in our conclusion. He is coming again. But does his coming bring joy to you? Do do we rejoice in in, in having Christ as our Lord and our Savior? Do we rejoice at at the sound of hearing the message of the gospel? Do we rejoice at the things that gladdens the heart of Christ? A brother by the name of Mark Jones who say that whatever makes us the happiest reveals our true values remember this the height catechism we we say this in the catechism question the first question is what is the chief end of man we say this and the answer is the chief end of man is to glorify god and to enjoy him forever Do we find joy in God, or do we find joy in our savior? I want you to see in the book of Luke, that theme of joy actually begins right before even Christ was born. Turn to Luke chapter one, or you can just write this down. From, 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 from the mother's womb, you remember John the Baptist leaped with joy in his mother's womb at the sound of Mary's greeting to Elizabeth Luke chapter 1 verse 42 to 44 just a greeting of Mary to Elizabeth John the Baptist a man full of the Holy Spirit from birth upon hearing that greeting the Bible tells us that John lived with joy Mary who then recount, bursting in praise, listen to what she would say, my soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in who? In God, my Savior. And we know this, that from the time that he is in, in his mother's womb, but then to the manger, we see to the manger's worship by the shepherds. What do the angels say to the shepherds? Listen to the angels. Listen to the angels. The angels say to the shepherds, Luke chapter 2 verse 10. They say this, fear not, for behold, I bring good news of great joy. Why? That, you will, be, that will be for you and all people. Why? For unto you is born this day in the city of David, who the Savior, who is Christ. The Lord, the good news of great joy is that the Savior is born unto you this day. This is good news of great joy to you and for all people. So, wheresoever this Savior, as His story is announced, the, the, the news of the Savior is the news of great joy. The disciples, upon seeing the mighty works of God in the lives of sinners, same book of Luke chapter 18, they come back to Jesus rejoicing. Rejoicing. What are they rejoicing about? Because the demons would hear and would listen to them. But then Christ himself would warn them of that which they need to be glad and rejoice in that their names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Do not rejoice, the demons were listening to you, he tells them. But the epitome, as we would have in this particular context, a good example of that response of joy of receiving Jesus gladly would be none other than Zacchaeus, isn't it? Sam, chapter 19. In chapter 19, we have a man by the name of Zacchaeus, a man who was short in stature, very rich man who was a tax collector. We are told that Zacchaeus, Look at your Bible in chapter 19. We are told in that chapter 19 that Zacchaeus, in verse 5, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and he came down and, look at the same theme, he received him joyfully. Here's my point, church. The coming of the Savior, this King, brings joy. It is joy in the hearts of the disciples. They are singing these songs of praise unto God. They receive Him in jubilation, and it is this Savior who, even in the case of Zacchaeus, we sing Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus' joy with the rich young ruler is contrasted. The rich young ruler in chapter 18, verse 23, he was grumpy. He went away sad. Where Zacchaeus receives Jesus with great joy, with gladness in his heart. He received him joyfully as he comes and as he sits with him, as he dies with him. And spurgeon, will all this, a great change had been suddenly wrought in Zacchaeus. The opening of the blind man's eyes was not all more remarkable than the renewing of the heart of Zacchaeus. In other words, as Jesus Christ even is taking company with Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus receives this Jesus with joy. But there's something so miraculous that takes place whilst Jesus he is with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus recognizes and identifies his own sinfulness in the face of majesty. So this man welcomes Jesus in jubilation. But listen to what they are saying in their jubilation. They are saying in verse 38 Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Their knowledge of Christ's kingship. They gladly and joyfully receive Him. Just like Lazarus, just like Zacchaeus, these men, they receive Jesus Christ gladly. Zacchaeus did not just receive Jesus Christ in his house but by implication what we see here that he receives Jesus joyfully and he receives him in his heart his heart is opened his eyes are also opened as he sits with this Jesus he realizes that he is sitting in the face of majesty and all this that is happening at this particular time it's happening according to scripture Christ, even in this particular point, rejoices with them. But there's this deep, deep realization within Jesus that although these people are singing these songs of jubilation, although their mouths and their lips are declaring songs of praise unto me, but there are some among here whose hearts are far away from he knows that everything that's happening, it's happening according to the scripture. As he comes into this particular city, he knows that since his childhood, we may also assert to this, he has been studying the scriptures and he has told us in chapter 18, see, we are going to Jerusalem and everything that has been written about the son of man by the prophets will be accomplished. He knew very well. The betrayal that awaited him by Judas. The cross with all its terrors that was awaiting him as it was recorded in Psalm 22 verses 19. He knew of his death and his burial as it is recorded in Psalm 16 verse 10. He knew of the resurrection that was awaiting him as he had already said it in the book of Matthew chapter 12 verses 40. He knew of his ascension and later on his enthronement. So he steps into Jerusalem and he is welcomed in jubilation. Why? Because he brings joy to those who wait for him. So he willingly enters Jerusalem. He is welcomed in jubilation. But lastly, let's look at the last point. He then aware of the condition of their hearts. Look at verse 41. He weeps over Jerusalem. when he drew near us, one tells us, and he saw the city. This is the city of Jerusalem, by the way. He wept over it. Saying, would you, even you, had known, not tomorrow, but to this day, the things that make for peace. But now, they are hidden from your eyes. The, the significance of this statement, as you see, the witness of this statement, what is it that makes Jesus Christ weep? Th- this will be the second time in the Bible we see the recording that Christ wept. John eleven twenty five 25 tells us as well that he wept. But in this particular context, he weeps over the city. Jerusalem, the word Jerusalem simply means the city of peace. But the irony is that the city of peace knows no peace. Do you see in verse 42? Would you in this day have known the things that make for peace? But they are hidden from your eyes. Two things that makes Christ to cry. Two things. One, for they are impaired discernment. They are unable to see, they are unable to recognize, they are unable to discern, they are unable to know, they are unable to to, to even grasp what is happening here. There are men and women who have done traditions, and traditions have found a grip and they have taken hold of them. Here we have not only the men of the city, but also I want you to know the theme of blindness, even among us the disciples of Jesus. We've seen in chapter number 18, we've seen in chapter number 19, they could they not be able to grasp these things. They could not perceive hearing they heard, but they were unable to perceive They could not grasp what was happening even at this particular time. They were not aware that they are actually fulfilling prophecy at this point in time. They were unable even to see the glory of this man who was in front of them. To them, he was another rabbi. Not the Messiah. They were looking for a supreme Messiah, not a suffering Messiah. They were looking for a triumphant Messiah, one who is going to triumph the kingdoms of the day, not a tried and a trampled Messiah. That's not the Messiah they were expecting. They were expecting a Messiah who is going to wear a crown of God on his head, not a Messiah who is going to be crowned with a crown of thorns. The idea of a suffering Messiah was not in the Jewish minds. But here he comes, and he tells them, and he is weeping over them because they are blinded by a sense of familiarity and religiosity. And his disciples, although they have been in company with the Savior, yet they are blinded, they are unable to see, and they were unable to hear the saving message of Jesus. Can you see in verse thirty four of chapter nine, chapter eighteen, but they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them. They did not grasp what was said. Do you see that? And you come to chapter number? 19 as well and Jesus Christ is crying of the same thing they Could not see So he weeps over their spiritual blindness Being close to the Savior yet blinded to see his glory They walked with Jesus yet they did not know who he was. But not only is Christ weeping over the, 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 their impaired dis- discernment, but secondly, he weeps over the impending destruction. Can you see in verse 43, all the way to verse 44, and we finish? For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and they will surround you and they will hem you in on every side and they will tear you down to the ground you and your children within you and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation behold the king is coming willingly he enters jerusalem and he is welcomed in jubilation. But yet the king who is coming is a compassionate king. He knows the hearts of men and he knows where this man stands. Although they are receiving him in jubilation, he knows where they are. That they are blinded by the God of this age. Second Corinthians chapter 4 verses 2. Their eyes are too dull. And too blinded to see who he really is. These men are singing songs with their lips. They are clapping hands. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Receiving him with jubilation. But their hearts are not yet there. They are blinded. They don't know him. They are singing to So he weeps. He weeps. Brothers, he weeps over the city. Because the city is, is, is blinded and these people are not able to see that which makes them for peace. The city of peace that knows no peace. And you might be sitting there and you may be saying, but how does this relate to us? Paul captures that so well. Second Corinthians chapter 4, I've alluded to this. Listen to Paul's writing in verse number 3 to 6. Second Corinthians chapter 2. Listen to Paul's writing. And even if our gospel is veiled, listen to the words of Paul. The gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is this, brothers and sisters, it's it's this that Jesus Christ is speaking of in chapter number eighteen, verse thirty-one. This is the gospel. The gospel is Jesus Christ coming down, Jesus Christ coming down, delivered over to Gentiles, mocked, shamefully treated, and spit upon, after flogging him, being killed, and on the third day rising up from the grave. That is the gospel. But just like the disciples who were unable to understand none of these things, so I am very much aware that we may be in the church and we've talked with one another about the gospel, but it takes the sovereign work of God through the Holy Spirit to remove our veils from our eyes so that we may understand the implications of this gospel. Why is he being treated like this? Why is he? Battled and battered and crushed by the Father. It's for your sin. He suffers this. And if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, Paul says. In their case, in their case. Listen to this. There's a spiritual connotation to this. The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. To keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Who is the image of God? For as we proclaim, for, for, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. With ourselves as servants, verse 5 he says, And for Jesus' sake, for God who said, Let light shine out of darkness. He has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. In the face of Jesus Christ. Behold, the king is coming. He came willingly. He was not forced. He willingly came to die for your sin. He suffered and he died for your sin, willingly. Nobody forced him. But as John chapter 1 verses 10 tells us, he came to his own and his own did not receive him. But we see the second point, but to those who had received him, to those who had believed in him, John chapter 1 verses 12, to them he gives them the right to be called children of God. Beloved, John chapter 1, verse 10, 11, and 12 can can, can work out in a life of a person and as Christ's first coming entails, we can play that out even in this triumphal entry. He is gladly and jubilantly welcomed by men, but yet later on, the same men who are declaring Hosanna, Hosanna, he who comes in the name of the Lord, these will be the same people who would declare crucify him, crucify him just a few days after this. So he willingly came. He came as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the whole world. He willingly came as one who is going to be executed and persecuted by men. But the irony of this particular narrative is this, go back to chapter 19, verse number 29, go there again. When he drew near to Bethage and Bethany at the mount called Olivet, he sent out two of his disciples. Here is the news, brothers and sisters. Zechariah tells us that this, this will be the same mountain that when Jesus Christ returns again in glory, this will be the same mountain he will step. That's the irony. We see Jesus, the King of kings, in the book of Revelation chapter 19, approaching the city which is known, both the Old and the New Testament, as the city of the great king. Psalm 48 verse 2. At his first coming, he comes and is riding on what? On a donkey. But in, in, if you read the Revelation chapter 19, he's second coming. He's not coming riding on a donkey. No. What is he riding? He's riding on a white horse. He is not coming as one who is the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the whole world. No, He comes. Look at His image. His eyes are like the frame of fire, and on His head are many diadems. And He has a name written that no one knows but Himself. He is clothed in robe, dipped in blood, and the name by which He is called is the Word of God. At his second return, the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure. They were following him in white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which he strikes down the nations. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord. Behold, the king is coming. So as we rejoice this Easter, it's not about the Easter bunny eggs. Amen? As we rejoice in this Easter, Easter, neither is it about you and I. The Easter season, this particular season, as we remember the death of our Lord Jesus Christ, Christ is the one who is to take the supreme center stage in our lives. Just as He willingly came, this demands us of our complete obedience to the Father. Just as He will come before the sinful city of Jerusalem and weeps over it, this causes us to weep over the sin of those in our families, those in our neighborhood, those in our city. This has a mission motif attached to it. We see that Christ cares for the lost. And it is with this in mind that you and I, even in the face of whatever we are facing, we need to have this king in view that he is coming back again. Hallelujah. To set up his kingdom and to be crowned as the king of kings and the lord of lords. So may we willfully bow before him, gladly welcome him, weep, of our own sin, cast ourselves before the Savior, like the blind man in chapter 19 who weeps and says, Son of David, have mercy on me. In our spiritual blindness, may we also, like Batmeas, weep before the Son of David, that you have mercy upon us. May we acknowledge our own sinfulness as we come in company of this glorious Savior, though obscured or covered, veiled in his human flesh. But we know that this one veiled in human flesh is none other than God himself among us. Behold, the king is coming. He willingly came to save. He has been welcomed. And he weeps over the sin of men. Would you, in this season, submit yourself to this king and let him reign as king and lord of our nation, of our continent of Africa. To the glory and honor of his name, shall we pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you so much. For your son, Jesus, who willingly came to seek and to save the lost, who willingly came, died a death we deserve, his willingness points us to our disobedience before you. But we cast ourselves before Him who sits on this one, acknowledge acknowledge our need for Him. Grant us, grant us the sight that we may see Your glory in the face of Jesus. It is in His name we ask, may God's people say Amen.
1: Please stand with us as we worship once more.
0: from Revelation 22 from verse 12 hear the word of the Lord behold I'm coming soon bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done I am the alpha the Omega the first and the last the beginning and the end he who testifies this thing say surely I am coming soon come Lord Jesus The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Amen. As you go out on the door there, you find men.